Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 46 of the Atlanta Man podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rogers, and on today's episode, we have a lot to talk about. Um, Actually, this is my second time recording this podcast because during the first attempt, the Braves traded for Matt Olson. Um, I just got done talking about the Braves and what they need to do with free agency up ahead and with the rest of the offseason before the regular season starts. And pretty much all of that was nullified within five minutes of me saying it because a lot of it was about Freddie Freeman. A lot of it was about Christian Pache. And yeah, so I had to pretty much scrap that entire thing. But when I did move on from talking about the Braves and began talking about the Hawks, I was able to get my reaction to the trade in live time. So I will show you that now and then I will get on with the rest of the episode, which will include a whole spiel about the Matt Olson trade, uh, the Calvin Ridley situation with the Falcons and the Hawks and their games this week. So here is my reaction um, to the Matt Joyce or Matt, Matt Joyce, Matt Olson trade in lifetime. Here you go. Oh my God. We have breaking news. Okay. I'm sorry, but the Braves just traded for Matt Olson right as I was. Oh my God. Okay. Sorry Hawks, but the Braves just traded for Matt Olson and this is just insane. Christian Pache is gone. Oh my God. This is in lifetime on on the podcast, the Braves trade for Matt Olson. Um, Oakland will receive Christian Pache, Shailene Galeers, Ryan Cusick, and Joey Estes. So Freddie's gone. Okay, so... That was my um, in real time reaction to the Braves making the biggest move that they have made since Alex Anthopoulos has been the GM. Um, By far, I think, far and away, the biggest trade the Braves have made since I think when they traded for Justin Upton. I would say there might be one I'm missing in between there. I didn't really check on that, but just as if memory serves, that's the last time the Braves made a trade of this magnitude, and that was in 2013 or 2012. So it's been about 10 years since they did that, a trade of like this magnitude of any kind. And um, yeah, I'm st- I have been able to collect my thoughts a little bit about this. Um, my main thought is that I like this for the Braves. I think... This makes the Braves the best they can be right now and in the future. But that completely is um, not even considering the emotional aspect of this, which is Freddie Freeman is 99.9% gone, um, which is going to be tough um, because he hasn't officially signed yet with anybody. But when uh, when he does, it is going to be very, very, uh, very tough. It's going to be it's going to be bad. Um, especially if the number he signs for is something that um, that I think the Braves should have done. Um, it's going to make it even worse for some fans, and some fans are already very mad right now um, about this because they have a very strong emotional attachment to Freddie Freeman, and so do I, and so does so do most Braves fans. Um, I mean, they're coming off a World Series. He's been with the team for a decade, um, in the league for a decade. He's been with the organization for 15 years. So it is tough pill to swallow but Matt Olson is awesome and I want to make that abundantly clear he 
had a better year than Freddie Freeman last year. Um, he is four years younger, I believe. I'm about to pull up his p- profile right now to give you guys the numbers on him of what he's done in his career. So Matt Olson, he's 27 years old. He's from Atlanta, Georgia. He went to Parkview High School in um, Atlanta, in Lilliburn, Georgia, rather. But he's from Atlanta. He's from the state of Georgia. Um, like I said, he's 27 years old. He will turn 28 on March 29th. So on opening day, he will be 28 years old. Um, Freddie will be 32 um, still. So four years younger, which is pretty significant age gap. And he's going to be making significantly less money than Freddie. Um, he is under contract for two more seasons. His projected arbitration number right now is around $12 million. And it seems that um, Freddie was going to get somewhere in the $30 million range AAV, maybe even higher. Um, who knows? But it looks like the Braves are going to save somewhere around $18 million signing Olsen over Freddie. And that is significant money that um, they need to really spend to fill some of the holes um, in this roster and some of the holes that this trade created in the roster in center field, but we'll get to that later. But um, Matt Olson, last year, he made the All-Star team. It was his first ever All-Star appearance. He finished eighth in the MVP voting in the American League. He hit 39 home runs. He had a 911 OPS, a 153 OPS plus, so he was 53% better than the average hitter in baseball. Um, he had a, he had 88 walks, which is good for a walk rate of 13.1%, which is very, very good. He only struck out 16.8% of the time, which is a huge improvement of his um, career number. Um, before that, year before, he struck out 31% of the time. The year before that, 25, got all the way down to 16.8, which is very, very solid. Um, like I said, he's under contract for two more years, and he is an undisputed, probably top three first baseman in baseball with Freddie and guys like Vladimir Guerrero after him breaking out last year and uh, Max Muncy, guys like that. He is of that ilk, and he is young, and he is awesome at baseball. And I think he is probably the most qualified replacement for Freddie to the point to where I think he probably at this stage is better than Freddie and going forward is going to be better than Freddie in the future. I really think that. I'm not just saying that to make myself feel better. I thought this before um, the Braves made this trade. You know, this has kind of been a not, not even rumored for a while, but a, a logical fit for the Braves if Freddie were to leave to, to trade for Matt Olson. And they didn't even wait for Freddie to leave to do it. Um, they t- traded for him before Freddie was able to sign elsewhere. <clears throat> so they must have a strong indication that they weren't going to get Freddie. Um, there was actually some reporting from Mark Bowman that the Braves never made a super strong push for Freddie, which is um, very surprising, I'll say. It it seems like the Yankees and Dodgers were the top or are the top two to get Freddie right now, and the Braves weren't in that tier with them of competitiveness to get Freddie. Um, so talked about Olsen's bat a little bit. Um, we'll talk about his glove now. He has two gold gloves in the bag in 2018 and 2019. He's one of the best defensive first basemen in the league. Um, probably better than Freddie at this stage too defensively. And yeah, there's not, there's not too much to say about his first base defense. He's just good. He's a good defensive first baseman. Um, but yeah, I, I'm excited about this. I'm happy. It's definitely a bittersweet thing, um, with Freddie, obviously, but also with some of the prospects that are going out the door, um, Pache and Langoliers, Estes and, um, Cusick, those guys too. It's, it's, um, it's kind of a tough pill to swallow all the way around, but Matt Olson, is awesome. He's probably he's better for the Braves long term, no doubt in my opinion, and he's probably better for the Braves right now too. And I think 
All things considered, this makes the Braves a lot better because of the money that they freed up. Um, Anthopolis has already came out and said that the Braves are going to raise payroll this year. So it seems that they have a good amount of money to spend to fill like the center field hole, the corner outfield hole, a starting pitcher, all that stuff. Um, they have money to do that now, and even even more with um, them saving around $18 million, getting Olsen rather than Freddie Freeman. So um, we will move on now to who is going out the door in this trade. Um, the headliner is Christian Pache, um, followed by Shea Langoliers, um, Ryan Cusick, and Joey Estes, who are both starting pitchers. Um, I'll talk about Pache first. It's funny because my the original version of this podcast, I talked a good bit about Pache, actually. Um, all of that is scrapped now, but I did talk about how it looked like he was going to be the opening day center fielder for the Braves um, and that he kind of needed a hit and all this other stuff. But Pache is still um, the Braves' number one prospect in their system, according to, according to Battery Power, um, a Braves blog that they, he is the number one prospect in the system, according to them. They have Shea Langoliers at number two. And if you give me one second, I can pull up where Estes and Cusick are on that list also. But Michael Harris is the number two prospect. They're able to hold on to him, which is big. I think Harris personally should have been the number one prospect in the Brave system, but I'm far from an expert when it comes to that. But I do think that he probably did surpass Pache last year. Uh, with his play in the minors and Pache really struggling at the big league level. Um, but I'm about to pull up where Cusick and Estes fall. Um, Cusick is the number thirteen, number 11 prospect in the system, and Estes is number 13. So the Braves traded four of their top 15 prospects in this deal. Number one, number three, number 11, number 13. This is an unprecedented deal in the Anthopolis era for trading away these prospects. This is the first time he's ever traded away a top 10 prospect. The highest, I believe, was a number 15 prospect, and that was Joey Wentz to the Tigers in 2019 for Shane Green, and that is as close as he has gotten to trading a top 10 prospect, but he really unloaded the clip of the farm system. They finally did it. Um, this is something that has been a long time coming. The Braves are a, kind of a prospect-hugging team under Anthopolis. He hasn't made those big deals um, of just unhauling these prospects and just sending them out. But number one and number three, um, Pache is obviously a all-world defensive prospect. Langoliers is a really big catching prospect, one of the biggest catching prospects in baseball, um, just right behind like Adley Rutschman. He's at that level of a catching prospect. And then um, I'll be pretty candid. I'm not. I don't know too much about Cusick and Estes. I know the names, but I um I haven't watched them a ton. I don't really know their numbers off the top of my head. Um, they just kind of seem like collateral throw-ins, not to be rude, but they are not the level of prospects of Pache and Langoliers. They are definitely capable MLB prospects and capable pitchers that definitely have a good shot of um, cracking this Oakland A's team that is rebuilding now. But um, they are just, they aren't the headliners, but they are definitely, definitely noteworthy losses to the farm system for the Braves. So um, moving on from here, the Braves have opened up a new hole that they need badly. They needed before this before this trade, and um, assuming that Pache was the incumbent uh, center fielder, they still needed a corner outfielder because Ronald Acuna is not going to be ready for opening day. I mentioned that during um, my first attempt of recording this that the he looks like it looks like the earliest he can come back is going to be May. So there's no even guarantee of that. Hopefully he'll be back in May, but you can't just go a whole month of the season without having a 
real baseball player in corner outfield. So they kind of need to do that already, and now they need a real center fielder. They have Adam Duvall on the roster. I know he played center field during the playoffs. He is not a center fielder. He was an emergency center fielder for the Braves in the playoffs. He's a corner outfielder. He's very good at that, and that's where he needs to stay. Um, the center field free agent market, I really don't even know off the top of my head who's available, and I don't think it's very deep, and I, I don't know what they're going to do in center field. They, they need a center fielder in the worst way now. Um, I would bring up trade targets like Brian Reynolds, um, another guy on the A's, Ramon Laureano is a center fielder and, um, guys like Cedric Mullins. Those are all guys that are on bad teams right now that could be traded. Um, there's no real rumor or reporting that they will be. Those are just some ideas off the top of my head, but I don't think the Braves are going to do that because that would cost a lot of prospects also for any of those guys. Um, there is, there could have been the, the idea of just, doing a mega deal with the A's and um, getting Ramon Laureano too for center field. But then you'd probably have to like give away um, Michael Harris and others also. So I don't think that is something they want to do. I don't know what they're going to do at center field. Um, I could pull up the free agents available really quick to see. Um, but I, I just don't even know now what they're going to do. I do think there's a strong possibility now that the guy like Jorge Soler is going to get brought back because of the money freed up, and he seems to command um, a pretty large contract in this free agency, but he's not a center fielder. He is a DH slash corner outfielder, and um, yeah, so I'm about to pull up right now and see what free agents are even available because I really haven't even looked at this yet of um, what center fielders are even available. So let's just go to MLB Trade Rumors and... Um, yeah, this is this is brand new stuff for me looking at this. Um, Seiya Suzuki, he just got signed. And, I mean, there's really not even center fielders on here. It's all corner outfielders. It's Conforto, Eddie Rosario, Soler, um, Jock Peterson. And, yeah, it's just kind of all corner outfielders. Tommy Pham is a guy. He might be able to play center field. That might be an option. I might have to look at how much he's played center field. But, yeah. I don't know what the hell the Braves are going to do at center field now. That's kind of the moral of this because it seemed like Pache was going to be the guy. Um, Acuna could play center field when he comes back, but he did say on the record, actually, or not him personally, but Andrew Jones actually said in an interview that Acuna said told him that he didn't want to play center field. So I don't know if that's likely. I, do, I, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, so that's definitely a new storyline to follow in the offseason. That is probably the next biggest hole that the Braves have to fill. Um, but yeah, this is a monster trade. Biggest, biggest tr Braves trade I can remember in recent history for sure, probably since Justin Upton. And I think the Braves are better for it. It sucks that Freddie's gone, but I think the Braves are truly better for it. And I'm excited about Matt Olson. And um, yeah, I just got to see what we're going to do for this rest of this offseason. We got some holes to fill. Center field, another corner outfielder, and a starting pitcher. They got the money. Go spend it and go get your guys. Um, so yeah, that'll, uh, that's all I really got on this trade. Um, I'm sure I'll be talking about this trade more down the road, but those are all of my uh, thoughts on it currently. Uh, so move on to the rest of the episode. Um, got some Falcons talk and um, some Hawks talk for the rest of the episode, and that will start right now. And uh, probably the most notable story of the entire week coming out of Atlanta was um, that Calvin Ridley was suspended for the entire 2023 season. Uh, due to betting on NFL games that included the Falcons. Um, this actually broke right after I finished recording last week, just like a, about an hour or so after. 
Um, <clears throat> so it was announced like at like two o'clock or so last Monday, a week ago today. Um, but yeah, he basically got caught um, placing multi-leg parlay bets, um, including three, five, and eight games that included the Falcons to win. Um, investigation determined there was no involvement from any team, players, coaches, etc. It was placed via his mobile device in Florida. Um, so pretty much NFL has this thing with the sports betting apps. So they're um, a big part of the NFL now, a big sponsor of them. Um, <clears throat> so NFL is definitely in bed with all these gambling companies. But they have this system, I believe it's called Genius, that um, their sole reason is to, their sole purpose working for the NFL was to track and see if um, NFL players are using these apps and making sure they're not um, betting on football because they can bet on other sports, but betting on football in the NFL is um, very, very frowned upon, obviously. And um, they picked up Calvin Ridley doing this in Florida. It was in November. It was um, right after, probably like a three weeks after he took his um, absence for mental health, his non-injury-related absence, I guess is the way to put it, for um, his mental health problems. <clears throat> and, yeah, so Calvin Ridley actually took to Twitter when all this was happening, getting reported on. He said that he only bet $1,500, um, that he doesn't have a gambling problem. Um, but still, it's um, it is a very severe punishment. But this is a kind. This is a thing that is not um, taken lightly, lightly, I should say, by the NFL at all. Um, you cannot bet on games. It's it's a rule. I'm not. I don't think Calvin Ridley is. Um, that's something that's like t completely immoral here. But it's definitely against the NFL NFL's rules, and it's something that you just can't do. Um, I do understand people's frustrations with the length of the suspension. Um, one thing that's been brought up is that, you know, guys that commit domestic violence acts and do other terrible things have gotten far less severe suspensions than this. And I totally, I totally understand that, and I agree that those punishments should be should be more severe. But I'm not like I'm not angry at the NFL really for suspending him for a whole season. And it's um at least a season, by the way. I haven't heard anything else about that, but. The reporting was at least the 2022 season, so there is a chance if they do like find some more stuff, possibly that he could be gone longer. Um, but I don't think that's very likely. I think it's probably just gonna be for the 2022 season. Um, but yeah, it's a it's they're kind of making an example out of Ridley here, which um, is kind of the nature of the beast being the like one of the first guys caught doing this because I think this is. Um, going to be a thing that happens more frequently in probably all sports, honestly, with um, all these sports betting companies and all these states making um, sports betting legal. It's um, <clears throat> going to be more commonplace, I think, because it is a very tempting thing to do. Um, but, yeah, it is um, it is just very unfortunate for the Falcons, obviously. Um, you know, I didn't really get to talk about Calvin Ridley a ton. Um, I haven't really talked to him, talked about him since he went on his leave of absence. But it was um, pretty likely that Ridley was going to be traded this offseason, I think. And the Falcons can't do that anymore. And they would have gotten um, at least a second-round pick for him, maybe even a first-round. So that definitely hurts that you're not going to get that. And then when he, when next offseason comes around and he is eligible to play again, the Falcons might end up just cutting him, honestly, because his trade value is just plummeted now. Um, you're probably only be able to fetch like a very, very late-round pick for Ridley next year. 
Um, but maybe they'll keep him for his um, fifth-year option, which is still just uh, carries over to 2023 now. And uh, that'll segue me into the cap situation for the Falcons. Um, the suspension creates $11.1 million in cap space for the Falcons in 2022, which is a positive out of all this. It's the main positive, really, <clears throat> is that they are getting some uh, cap relief, some much-needed cap relief because the Falcons are a team um, bottom two or three in the league in cap space coming into the offseason. Um, this created a lot of space. They also recently extended and restructured Matt Ryan and Jake Matthews contracts to create some more cap space. I don't have the official number in front of me, but they have freed up a good amount of cap between those two restructured deals and um, Ridley getting suspended. The $11.1 million in cap space is uh, nothing to sneeze at. It's a lot of money that they're going to be able to save and um, use on players this offseason. As uh, the league year is opening right now as we speak, actually, um, players are signing left and right. Um, quick side note, actually, about the Falcons. Right before I saw recording, Foyer Aluakon actually signed with the Jaguars, so he's gone. Um, happy for Foyer. He was a very he was a six-round pick, and um, he's getting, a, I believe it was a three-year, $45 million contract with the Jaguars, which is life-changing money for him, which is great. Um, and, yeah, the Falcons have to address some linebacker issues with Foyer gone. But anyway... Um, yeah, that's about all I have on this Ridley situation. Um, it is very unfortunate for the Falcons and um, not being able to at least maybe there's a chance that we kept him this year. And he's obviously a very, very good player. He's a very good wide receiver when he when he um, is on the field playing. Um, but, yeah, it's just an unfortunate situation all around. Um, one last thing I want to say about this. I did see some of this stuff floating around. Um regarding his mental health problems that he left the team for back in October, um, saying that, oh, he must have not been that bad off because he's gambling on football games. Like, I, two things can be true at the same time. Um, Calvin Ridley could still have mental problems and need to work on things and still gamble on football. It's not two things that are just um, tied together. I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of miserable people. I'm not saying Calvin Ridley is a miserable person, but... You know, people are very like mental problems that gamble too. Which he's no different than a, a regular person in that regard. Um, so I just think that was kind of a silly notion going around. That's kind of been going around ever since he really left the team. Is that he he just like gave up on the team and he's this that and the other when you really don't know what's going on the gravity of his situation. So my advice would be to not pass judgment on Calvin and his mental problems because of this or because of anything because I don't think this proves anything that he is like was in any way like not having mental health problems at all i think that was just silly saw some people say that some falcons fans some non-falcons fans i just wanted to address that real quick before we moved on but yeah not a good situation um at all for the falcons but there'll be a lot more falcons talk coming up on the podcast um like i said free agency is starting right now um foyer just signed elsewhere um falcons got a lot of stuff to figure out uh so we'll get into that the free agency stuff draft stuff all be coming up soon a lot more falcons talk ahead now that the league year has opened and um things are starting to actually uh come to fruition in the nfl all right now we will wrap up the episode with some talk on the atlanta hawks who had a two and two week this week which is not anything fantastic by any means um, I thought personally that they should have gone three and one this week, um, looking at the schedule. But they went two and two, which is not a disaster, um, but still some disappointing losses on the week, and um, one that was super frustrating. And that was the first one this week, a um, overtime loss on the road to the Detroit Pistons. They lost one thirteen to one ten. Um, they were favored by seven and a half points in this game to win, 
and uh, definitely a bad loss for the Hawks. Trey Young did not play well at all. One of his worst games of the season. And uh, yeah, we'll get into all the details of it now. Um, pre-game stuff was that Kevin Herter was out and Bogey was in to start this one. So that really affected them on the wing in this game, especially later on because Bogey fouled out and Hunter was also in foul trouble and was at the brink of fouling out in this game. But he, he actually didn't end up fouling out. But they were definitely... Um, Definitely worse without Herter. That goes without saying, but especially when your wings get into some foul trouble. Um, but Hawks, this offense did not generally play well in this game. They actually got off to a solid start with Trey Young. They had a good first quarter where they scored 30 points. Um, Trey had eight of their first 15, but that was the only good stretch he had in the entire game. Um, they went on an 8-0 run in the first quarter, but they only tr- only led by one after the first 30-29 to lead. Defense wasn't great. Offense was solid enough. Um, but really after the first, the offense just kind of flatlined, not completely, but they weren't at their norm. They weren't their normal selves at all. We'll say that um, they did get a 10 0 run early in the second to go up 44 to 35. That nine point lead ended up being their um, biggest of the game. But um, things were kind of downhill from there. A 10 lead or 10 run from Detroit. But then Bogey responds with an and one to retake the lead. Um, but the Hawks do end up trailing at the half 59 to 56. The defense was not great at all in the second. Um, they gave up 30 points um, and some sloppy offensive moments in the second quarter for sure. Uh, we'll move on to the third now. This is where I thought the defense really shined in this quarter. They only gave up 19 points to Detroit. And you told me that the Hawks only allowed 19 points. You think that they are um, in front after the third and that they were not. They still trailed by two because they only scored 20 points of their own in the third quarter, which is tough. Um, this is where the offense really, really, really struggled was in the third. Um, you know, pretty sloppy quarter as pace goes for a basketball game. Both teams just really had nothing going on offense, obviously, as they scored less than 40 combined points. But heading into the fourth, the Hawks were down by two. And um, the fourth quarter is where this game really got pretty wild. Um, starting off the fourth, Lou had the first five points of the fourth for any team. Um, that put the Hawks up by three. And the second unit went on an eight, eight to one run in the start of the fourth. But then the Hawks went to a pretty questionable defensive lineup that included Trey, Lou, Bogey, Gallo, and then Akangu, who was obviously good defensively. But um, this kind of burnt them in this time because they ended up giving up the lead. Um, DeAndre Hunter came in shortly. Then right after him, Clint and John Collins came back in, which I thought Clint and Collins were out of the game for way too long. And that really, really burnt them on defense, I think. Um, but they ended up trailing 90-88 to 88 with five minutes left. And then the Hawks end up down two with under two minutes left, but get two offensive rebounds. And then Bogdan Bogdanovich with a huge and one to take the lead. And then Kay Cunningham responds for the Pistons. He gets an and one opportunity, but misses the free throw. And that put the Pistons up 99-98. to 98. Uh, DeAndre Hunter got fouled in the next possession. He had both of his free throws, and the Hawks went up 199 with 50 seconds left. And the Hawks... Kept, kept the lead until there was 1.6 seconds left. And Bogey fouls Cade Cunningham on the inbound before the ball was even thrown. It was a reach-in foul um, that was before the ball was even out of the inbounder's hand that fouled out Bogey of the game, fouled Bogey out of the game, rather, and um, sent Cade to the line where he made both free throws to put the Pistons up 101 to 100. Still, though, there's 1.6 seconds left because no time came off the clock with uh, no inbound pass. So the Hawks had a chance to inbound play of their own, and it was a pretty solid drawn-up play, I think. It was a lob to John Collins, and then Marvin Bagley just 
kind of um, tackles him in midair and fouls him, which is a bad foul on Marvin Bagley, who I thought actually played pretty well in this game for the Pistons. But um, he fouls him. John splits the free throws. He misses the first, makes the second, and we head to overtime, um, tied at 101. And the Hawks' offense completely sputtered in overtime. Um, they end up trailing by six points with 56 seconds left. But um, DeAndre Hunter actually hit a big three to cut it down to three with 42 seconds left. Um, and the Hawks get a stop after that and have a chance to tie the game. Um, Trey took a pretty contested long-range three. Um, it, it got missed, but there, there was a rebound, and um, they got the ball back out to DeAndre Hunter, who had a, a tough – It was he was open for the shot, but he had to kind of backpedal to get behind the three-point line and put up a three. He airballed it, and that was the game. The Hawks lost 113-110. to I'm looking at the stats in this game, like I mentioned. Uh, Trey Young was bad in this game. 5 of 20 from the field, 14 points. Um, the one positive is that he did have 12 assists, um, but he had five turnovers, and um, he was he was really bad. Um, Collins played well, though. I think Clint played well defensively. Bogey was good in this game, I think, um, especially if he had some big buckets late, but that reach and foul was really bad. But the Hawks as a whole shot 45% from the field and only 29% from three, which is not going to get it done. Um, and, you know, I said earlier, Kate Cunningham, he had a good game. He had 28 points. I thought he played pretty well. Um, Marvin Bagley, like I said, played good. Jeremy Grant had 23 points, um, even though the Pistons' offense wasn't firing on all cylinders because they are the Pistons, after all. They're not great, but they're definitely a frisky team. Um, but, um, yeah, their defense, I did, I did think, played pretty well in this game. We were able to bottle up Trey. I think they do deserve some credit for that. So we'll move on to the second game this week against the Milwaukee Bucks. On the road, this is not a game the Hawks were supposed to win, and they didn't. Um, they were actually kind of getting bludgeoned earlier in this game. Um, but before pregame stuff, Herter was available to play on this one, so they did get him back, and the Hawks were healthy outside um were healthy after Herter missed the game against uh, the game in Detroit on Monday. Um, so start off the first quarter, Giannis was going crazy early in this game. He had ten of the Bucks' first twelve points. Um, Hunter also had a good start for the Hawks, so he had nine of the first twelve for the Hawks. So um, other than that, though, the offense did sputter in the first quarter. Only scored five points in a span of five and a half minutes, and Giannis hit a three at the buzzer to put the Bucks up by eleven after the first quarter. Uh, going to the second, the Bucks score the first second points of the quarter to go up by 18. And then um, Capella finally reaches the game after after uh, sitting for 14 minutes after getting two early fouls. Um, the Hawks ended up being down by 14 at the half. They trailed by as many as 18, like I said, earlier in the second. So um, Trey was pretty quiet at the half, and Giannis and Bobby Portis both had really good halves with 19 points apiece. But um, Trey wasn't, like, bad. He just wasn't getting um, his shots off, really. I think he only had three shot attempts in the first half. So it wasn't like he was as damaging as against Detroit. He just really wasn't getting any good looks. So he got it going on later in the third. We'll get into that now. Um, the Hawks go down by 19 early, but they get on a 7-0 run to cut the lead to 12. And then Capella gets his fifth foul with a 9-17 left in the third. And he pretty much has to go to the bench right away. And then Trey, like I said, finally gets it going. Um, Kevin had five in a row to cut the lead down to eight. Lou got down to seven at one point. Um, the Hawks got down to as low as five but they ended up trailing by seven after the third. Um, they had a much better quarter, but they were still down by seven heading into the fourth. And then Hawks, they got it down to five early on with a 5-0, but a 5-0 run by the Bucks put them behind by 10 immediately after. Um, the Hawks went another run, um, 7-0 run with about in the span of about 70 seconds to make it a six-point game. 
and then things kind of fall up, fell apart late. Um, Nate got ejected um, with a double technical um, because of a no call on Giannis after he just kind of ran over Capella. I will say the officiating was pretty bad in this game and pretty favorable to Giannis, which I do understand because Giannis is a uh, very, very tough player to officiate with the way he plays and his size and strength and all that. But I do think that he was definitely getting a favorable whistle. Um, don't think that would have changed much in the game because the Hogs did lose this game by nine points. But I do think Nate kind of got ejected on purpose there to kind of get the team fired up because um, the game was pretty much over at that point. But um, Hogs lose. 124 to 115. Um, Trey was better in this game. He had a slow first half, um, but he was better on the whole in the second half for sure. The Hawks really played fine in the second half, just the first half really doomed them. But Trey had 27 points and 11 assists. He was good. Um, DeAndre Hunter had 17 points. Herter had 16. The offense, I think, generally played pretty well in this game. Um, didn't shoot great from three, but I think um, the defense was what really let him down. Giannis had 43 points in this game, and that is never a good sign. So move on to the Clippers game, which is a game that the Hawks needed to win, and they did a 112-106 to victory at home against Los Angeles. Um, the Clippers, they are, um, they've are they been shorthanded all year without Kawhi and Paul George, but they have definitely found an identity um, of this team. Reggie Jackson has played very well. Avicha Zubac has played well. Um, Amir Coffey, they've, got, they've had some good team chemistry. Ty Lue has done a good job with them. They're right currently a, above 500 team in the play-in. And the Hawks were favored to beat them in this game, and they did. It was a much-needed win. Um, some notes from this game was uh, DeLon Wright was out of the rotation in this game. Um, he was at that until Hunter got into some foul trouble and they had to bring him back in, but they were using Lou as the first point guard in for Trey, even playing Lou with Trey a little bit, which I don't love. I think DeLon Wright is a very important part of this team, especially um, when it comes to perimeter defense. He is their second best defender on the perimeter, in my opinion, behind Hunter. And um, not having him out there really hampers the defense, but I do understand it to a certain extent because Lou is much better than him offensively, and Delon can be damaging to the offense at sometimes with his lack of shooting. But I still think he's a good ball handler and a good passer, so I don't think he's a complete negative on offense either. Uh, but there was um, some highlights in this game. Okongwu had a big dunk over Zubac, which was uh, a very, very, very nice play by him. I think he played pretty solid in this game. Pre played pretty solid all week, I think Okongwu did. Um, Collins was out of this game in crunch time again for the second game in a row. He was actually out of crunch time against the Bucks because he was terrible against Milwaukee. Um, he went 0 of 8 from the field against Milwaukee. Didn't really touch on him too much, but he was really bad against the Bucks. Um, and I think a big part of that was that he ended up missing the game against the Pacers and is actually out tonight against the Trailblazers um, with a finger and foot injury. So I think that's why he just has not been 100%, and that's why he didn't play in this game um, in crunch time, rather, against the Clippers. Um, but the Hawks did hang on and win this game. It got kind of close late. Uh, a bad defense or a bad offensive quarter, rather, for the Hawks in the fourth. Only scored 22 points, but they were able to hang on and win by six. Um, Herter hit two huge threes to beat the shot clock twice late in the game. That were the two biggest shots of the game. Um, and then I have a quote here about DeLon Wright from Nick McMillan. He said that he praised DeLon for being as ready as a foul trouble sub tonight but also said that he has talked to DeLon and he plans to shorten his ro shorten the rotation to nine, which was the rotation that the Hawks used last year with Lou Williams being the main backup point guard. And I don't agree with that. I don't like it. Hopefully um, DeLon makes his way back into the rotation with like Collins being out. Um, Gallinari is also out tonight, so maybe there's a way for him to squeeze in with the rotation there. So move on to the last game of the week against Indiana. And this one was... 
It was a win's a win is a win is what you say after a game like this. The Hawks won 131 to 128 against a very bad Pacers team. Um, Collins was out for this game, like I said. So DeLon Wright was able to make his return to the rotation. Um, the Hawks end up setting a season high, 77 points in the first half. They led this game by as many as nine, and it was um, down to as low as two points with a minute 09 left. Things got really, really close in this one, but the Hawks were able to win after a pretty rough second half um, after having a fantastic first half. They got outscored by 15 points in the second half in this one, and they gave up um, 69 points. Uh, not a nice number for the Hawks, nice for the Pistons, for the Pacers. Um, but we'll get into some of the individual performance in this game. I just wanted to really talk about Trey Young and just kind of um, wax poetic about him because he was awesome. He had 33 points at halftime. He finished with 47, 5 assists, 13 of 20 shooting from the field, and 7 of 10 from 3, 14 of 14 from the free throw line. He was absolutely incredible in this game. Um, just was scalding hot in the first half. And the, in the second half, the Pacers made it a point to not let him beat them. They were doing a lot of traps on him, a lot of really, really tight double teams that opened up some opportunities for some other guys on the Hawks. But, um, you know, he still had 14 points in the second half, and uh, the Pacers just kind of made it a point to not let him beat them. And um, it worked for it worked to a certain extent, but it did open up shots for guys like Bogey and Herter um, to get some, some threes off in this game. Um, but, yeah, Trey was incredible in this game. He had 47. DeAndre Hunter, he continues to play well on offense, I think, 15 points. He's, after um, some rough some rough offensive performances, he's, in my opinion, been pretty solid. Gallinari had 15. Capella had 10 on perfect shooting. Um, Herder had 14. Bogey had 13. Nakangu had 13 on 6 of 11 shooting. Um, so seven offensive rebounds, too, for Akangu, which is a very good number for him. But he's um, was in foul tr- a little bit of foul trouble in this game with three fouls. That's nothing new for him. So um, Hawks, they have a game tonight against the Trailblazers. They're 13.5-point favorites in this game, which is a very large number. Um, the Trailblazers are without Damian Lillard. They're without Nurkic or without Anthony Simons, who's their big breakout player this year. Um, the Hawks are without John Collins and Daniel Gallinari, but they're still massive favorites over the over the Trailblazers, and they have a chance to get back to 500 tonight. If they win tonight, they'll be 34 and 34. So um, a, a game that the Hawks need to get tonight, um, 7:30. So they win this one, they're back to 500. And the schedule um, for the rest of the season, they have the 29th easiest schedule in the NBA. So they definitely have the schedule here to make a run and uh, make a push to move up in the play-in tournament. So. That'll do it for the Hawks talk in this episode, and that'll do it for the episode as a whole. Um, A crazy one, one that I had to record twice, but I don't mind because some exciting news came out of it. And, um, yeah, there will be a lot more next week on the Atlanta Man. Um, Definitely some more Braves talk, some more Hawks talk, and probably some Falcons talk as they're bound to make a move here soon as the NFL free agency is really getting going. So if you made this far listening, I really, really appreciate it, and I will see you in the next one. (music) Thank you.